Well, 2018, as, as Rob already said, it is here. It is here. And my question is, how are you feeling? As you think about 2018, what is it you're feeling? You know, some of you, maybe what, what you're feeling right now as you think about 2018 is maybe you're feeling excitement because there's some fun things ahead of you this year that you're getting pretty excited about. For others, maybe as you think about 2018, maybe it's not excitement, maybe it's more fear and anxiety because there's some uncertainty in this year that you feel. For others, maybe you just feel nothing because you've kind of got stuck in, in, in kind of a routine life of the mundane and nothing happened last year, therefore nothing is going to happen this year. Or for others, maybe you just feel sadness because for you, your, your better years are behind you and you kind of wonder, yeah, I'm just here eking out an existence, but there's really nothing for me in 2018. And so there's a sense of sadness as you look at the year ahead of you. And I ran across, to, it's not really a poem, I guess it's just an illustration. It was called I Am a New Year. And I, and I want you to hear this. Uh, it's an unknown source. I don't know who the author was, but I, I, I thought it, it caused me to kind of reflect and pause in this new year and think about these things. It says, I am the new year. I'm an unspoiled page in your book of time. I'm your next chance at the art of living. I am your opportunity to practice what you have learned about life during the last 12 months. All you have sought and didn't find is hidden in me, waiting for you to search for it, but with more determination. All the good you tried for and didn't achieve is mine to grant when you have fewer conflicting desires. All that you dreamed but didn't dare to do, all that you'd hoped but did not will, all the faith that you claimed but did not have, these slumber lightly, waiting to be awakened by the touch of a strong purpose." I am your opportunity to renew your allegiance to him who said, Behold, I make all things new. During this new year, in this first month of the new year, I, I wanted to take time and talk about a series called This New Year. This New Year. Because as I was thinking about that passage, especially the, the Revelation 21, verse 5 passage about the God who makes all things new, I had to ask the question, God, for me, what are some things that I need to allow you to make new in 2018? For some of you, that, that might be more inward focused, where you know God needs to make new your attitude or your viewpoint of the future. Or maybe he needs to, to make new a sense of hope and purpose for you. Maybe for others, it's more outward. This year, God needs to make some new things happen in your relationships, with your family, with your finances, with your career, or how you engage in this community. What is it that God wants to make new? And my, my favorite verses, usually as I think about a new year, is, is Jeremiah 29, 11, which many of you maybe have committed to memory. And we'll come back to this verse a little bit later in detail. But it just simply says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And what I find interesting about Jeremiah's verse, and this is just kind of the prequel to our series. We haven't even got into the message yet. But what I love about Jeremiah 29, 11 is the context in which it was given. It was very bleak for the audience to which Jeremiah was speaking. Israel, the northern kingdom, had already been exiled. 
And Judah, which is around Jerusalem, which is where Jeremiah had his ministry, was already in process of being exiled, taken away from their land of promise because they had disobeyed God, and they were forcefully ejected from their homeland and were taken, many of them by foot, to travel over 900 miles to Babylon. And in 29 verse 11 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is prompted to write a letter to the exiles who are currently living in their land of captivity. And so think about it, the hopelessness they're facing. And in that context, the Lord says, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And the reason he had to include that is because think about how Judah must have felt for a moment. God, we're exiled. We're kicked out of our homeland. This feels a lot like harm, okay? But I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Because for many of them, all hope seemed to be gone. Yet it reminds me, as it did them, that God's redemptive purposes are not done. That God is not done with with Jerusalem. God is not done with you. That God has a future, even if you think your best days are behind you. No, no, no. no. God has a future. He has a plan and a purpose specifically for you. And so as I was thinking about this context of Jeremiah's audience being in captivity and things being hard, and and I think many of us can draw some parallels. Things might not be going real real great for you, but I also thought about the context of the letter we're going to look at in this series, and that's 1 Peter. 1 Peter in, in, in the New Testament is a letter written by Peter the Apostle to Christians kind of scattered throughout a certain region of Asia Minor who were facing very difficult times. They were facing persecution and suffering because of their faith. Things weren't going well. The future looked a little bit bleak. But in that context, Peter writes a letter to remind them of some very important things. That I think for us today is, no matter how you face 2018, I think we can glean some things from 1 Peter that will help us as we navigate maybe the twists and turns that 2018 is going to bring you or the ups or downs that 2018 is going to bring you to give us a godly perspective how we face 2018. Because I know you've already made resolutions. We're day seven. Hopefully you've kept them. But I want us to resolve some things biblically as we think about 2018. And as we go through 1 Peter, understand that we're not going to like drill down real deep because 1 Peter is a book rich in a lot of biblical themes that I wish we would have time to explore, but we're just not. So we're going to kind of do more of a, 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 a skim of 1 Peter But there will be, I guarantee you, some things that we will lift from the pages that will become for us a way to face 2018, no matter what it brings. In a message called, I Have a Living Hope. I want you to go to 1 Peter in your Bibles or on your smart devices or whatever you've got today. Uh, If you are using a smart device with the YouVersion Bible app, which is a free Bible app, I would encourage you to go to the menu. There's a thing called More. You hit More, it pops open another menu of events. And events mean there are live events happening around you that you can interact with using the Bible app. You should find Neighborhood Church there. And, of course, all of our notes to help you follow along will be there. But hope is one of our greatest needs as we face a new year. In fact, today the word hope is often kind of used as just wishful thinking. You know, I hope my sports team wins. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope I do good on my next test. 
I hope. And there's this kind of sense of, you know, I'm not sure, but maybe. And it's kind of this sense of wishful thinking. But that is not what biblical hope is. That is not how the Bible approaches the word hope. Hope, as used in the Bible, denotes confident expectation or anticipation, not just wishful thinking. In fact, hope is consequently an expectation or belief in the fulfillment of God's promises that He will do what He says and that He has a future plan for you and for me. Therefore, hope is not meant to be historic only. I mean, I'm glad for what has happened in the pages of Scripture in history. I'm glad that we have a God who came incarnate in Jesus and went to that cross and died and rose again. I'm glad, but can I just remind you, hope is not historic. It's not something we just look back to, and somehow that will give us the strength to make it through whatever comes. That's not hope. Hope is a confidence, an expectation of the future. Past events can certainly help us, or maybe for some hinder, but it's important, but it's not historic. We'll talk more about what hope looks like in, in today's message. But Webster says it this way, and I thought it was a great, a great way to define it. He says that hope is to expect with confidence. Hope is to expect with confidence. And if anything should mark us as followers of Jesus, it is hope. That we have a confidence. That we can expect whatever 2018 brings with a measure of confidence within our hearts. And that's something that the audience in the letter that Peter wrote needed to hear. They needed some hope because they were being persecuted because of their faith. Some of them, it was social persecution. They were losing friends or they were being treated harshly. For others, it was governmental persecution because they were professing Christ as Lord in an empire where there is an emperor who was worshipped as the Lord or as God. It didn't go well to say you worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in this time in which Peter probably wrote this letter, in around A.D. 60, coming to power was an emperor maybe you've heard of called Nero. An emperor Nero was extremely harsh, probably slightly insane or majorly insane. And one of the things that he had actually done is he had burnt Rome. He set fire to Rome because he wanted to build his own new Rome, and he blamed the fire on Christians. And so things were not looking well for Christians throughout the Roman Empire. If you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you can kind of read what happened during the persecution of Christians. It's horrific. And this is what is happening to the audience to which Peter is writing throughout Asia Minor. They need so let's look at this letter, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to just kind of read through a little bit of chapter 1, then we're going to come back and hit one passage specifically. But listen, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And he transitions from that greeting, which talks about, hey, I know you're exiles. I know you're living in this country, but your heart is in the kingdom of God. And it's hard to live as exiles when our loyalty is to a kingdom that is very real, but not a kingdom in which our governments yield to often. Isn't that the truth? So I know that sense that we have even as Christians where we know we live here, but our hearts dwell in heaven, and we, we have a different 
conduct because of that. And he's writing to them and knowing that, that you're being treated harshly just because of where your heart lies in the kingdom of God. And he moves from that to this expression of praise. Listen to what he says. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And he continues, verse 6, in all of this, what's the this? And when, it, when you're reading Scripture, sometimes you got to pause and remember what it is. In all of this, so the mercy, the new birth, the living hope, the lasting inheritance, being shielded by God's power, salvation, in all of this you rejoice greatly, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed, and that would be in the end times when he's coming. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And even angels long to look into these things. Wow, there's a lot in that passage, and if we were to drill down, we'd spend the rest of today and maybe 2018 looking at. But as I was looking at First Peter, there was a phrase quickly that just jumped off that page to me as I think about 2018, as I think about what is it that we need as believers as we look at a new year. And it was that simple phrase, living hope, living hope. We see it in verse 3. In that context, it basically says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the only time, friends. This is the only time in all of the Bible that living and hope are put together. So why would Peter, and when he's, when he's giving praise to God for all of these things, why would he put these two words together? Because all throughout Scripture, I mean, hope is in the Bible, okay? It's, it's found hundreds of times in the Bible. But why would Peter put these two words, living and hope, together? Isn't hope good enough by itself, right? Well, it wasn't because it was a borrowed phrase. It wasn't like Paul used it, and so then Peter started using it. In fact, it wasn't even a phrase that we find Jesus using. In fact, the word hope scarcely comes from the lips of Jesus in the gospel, so why would Peter call it a living hope? Why did the verb hope need an adverb that it was living? Why? And I think we have to look at this from Peter's perspective to describe why he would use living and hope together. So I want you to take you into Peter's story just for a little bit. Because I think there's something about Peter that we can all relate to. He was a fisherman when Jesus called him. So a worker of his hands, it was a very common, ordinary man. When you think about people that were used by God, you have like Paul, 
the Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, he's kind of like the poster boy of the Jewish faith. That was a no-brainer that, that Paul would do great things. And then there was Peter. Okay, it was almost like Jesus took somebody who was like low shelf that all of us could relate to and go, yeah, I, I can feel for that guy. And here's Peter, called by Jesus to follow him. He leaves the nets. He follows Jesus for three and a half years. He believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who has come to set things right. And so he follows Jesus. Now, the other thing we can appreciate about Peter is he's not perfect. Even when we see the story of Peter following Jesus, he fails. He opens his mouth too quickly. He's somewhat arrogant. He doesn't think before he talks. And there's lots of things about Peter that we're kind of like, yeah, I get it. He's very real to us. He's very tangible to us, especially as we come to the close of the gospel accounts where we have Jesus moving toward the cross we watch Peter's response to these events. That night in the garden when Jesus was arrested, Peter takes a sword to defend his best friend, and Jesus tells him to put it away. He watches his friend be hauled off, charged for crimes he didn't commit. And the Bible talks about how all the disciples fled. And Peter would watch from a distance the, the trials that would be take, take place of Jesus and during that time, hope began to vanish from his heart as he was watching his Lord, his Savior, his best friend being put on trial for all to see, a mock trial. It was terrible what was happening to him. And in those moments, that hope is flickering out in his soul, and he gets confronted. I think you're one of those disciples. And what does Peter do? Denies that he even knows Jesus, not once, three times. Three times he denies that he knows Jesus. And he hears that rooster crow, the sound of his defeat and utter failure. And he locks eyes with Jesus in that last moment, and he knows that he has failed. And he's now clothed in shame as he flees that space, and we don't hear from Peter in the rest of the gospel account as Jesus takes center stage and the, the crucifixion happens, the death, he's put into a tomb. And for Peter, like many of us, all of his hope now is locked behind a large stone inside a tomb. You ever been there where your hope feels like it is totally locked away? It's gone. The things you had thought were gonna happen, the things you had wished for, the things you had hoped for are dead and buried. And as we look at this story from Peter's perspective, he doesn't know what lies ahead. All he sees is a sealed tomb and a dead Lord. And he thinks it has all come to an end. And he is hopeless. But then we see day three, right, of the Easter account. Jesus had told his friends, I'm going to rise from the dead. Nobody is there to watch it happen. The disciples are locked away behind closed doors. That Sunday morning, it wasn't the disciples along with Peter who ran to that tomb to expect Jesus to be alive, even though he had said it. Why? Because their hope was dead. Maybe like your hope is today. The ladies went to that tomb, but not to find a risen Savior either. They went there to, to anoint a body for burial because they got rushed out that night 
Friday night, it was leading into Sabbath. They didn't have time to prepare the body of Jesus, so they were coming back with herbs to prepare his body to put their hope to death as well and have a nice little funeral service for their hope. You ever had a funeral service for your hope? I mean, maybe you didn't think about it that way, but you knew your hope was dead. It seemed like all things were lost and it was over for you. That's where Peter was. But I love that part of the gospel account that says that on Easter morning, resurrection morning, when, when the ladies were announced, the angels announced to the ladies what had happened by the angels, and the angels said, go tell his disciples and Peter. Calls them out by name. Why? Why? Right? But they go and they tell the disciples. They hardly believe what's going on. They go and find it firsthand. Peter stands at an empty tomb. And he's wondering. And then he gets a little bit afraid. If Jesus is alive, the last time we locked eyes, I absolutely, totally denied that I even knew him. After I said that I would never do that, the last thing he saw me do was deny him. How can I stand before a risen Lord if he is alive? And the last thing I did was deny him. You see how tangible Peter is for us? Because we've all been in those spaces where we've denied Jesus. We have lost hope because we feel like we're not worthy of any preferred future. In fact, many of you today, if the truth were to be told, hope for you is not a living hope. It's on life support, if anything. And you're about to pull the plug because this year is hopeless for you. What I love about the story is that Jesus resurrected, alive, hope out of that tomb. He says, Peter, come here. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. And what he does is he gives Peter a future. He says, there's something I want you to do. Feed my sheep. Three times the Lord allows him to speak for Jesus for the three times he spoke against him. And he's restored. And in that moment, I don't know what would happen in Peter's heart. I wasn't there, but if it was me, I'd begin to think, maybe there's still something for me this year. Maybe there's still something. And so when Peter sits down to write to these suffering, persecuted Christians who maybe are wrestling with hope, he says, we have a living hope. I saw him with my own eyes, and he has a future for me even though I didn't deserve it. He had a future for me, and he has a future for you. He is a living Savior. So he says you have a living hope. But what does that mean? What does it look like to have a living hope? Because hope's one of those words, again, we just kind of toss it out like it's, like it's just, you know, just another word. But Peter didn't want to just use hope. He wanted to say it's living. What makes it living? Here it is, and I'm going to give them to you quick. So you better write them down fast, uh, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. Living hope is permanent, not temporary. It is permanent, or you could say eternal, not temporary. Romans 15, 13 tells us about this. Look at what it says. May the God of hope fill you with all peace and joy, or joy and peace, whichever way you want to say it, as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. First of all, there's a couple of words. God of hope. Is God permanent? You bet he is. Is he eternal? Absolutely. And he's the God of hope. Therefore, if we have trust in him and he dwells in us, then we are to be, as, as he says later, overflowing with hope. Okay? It's a spring within you bursting. It is permanent. It is not temporary. Secondly, living hope is constant, not circumstantial. You're not going to find hope in your circumstances. That's not what eternal hope or biblical hope is about. It's not about trying to, to read your circumstances like you would a horoscope, trying to find something to hang on to. Okay? It's not that. But it's constant, like the air you breathe. Look at it. Romans chapter 4. I, I love the way that Paul addresses this, the story of Abraham. Okay, Abraham's like the hero of faith, right? But it was not very hope-filled for Abraham and Sarah when they were called. Abraham was old. Sarah was barren. They were told by God, I have a future for you, and it's going to be a child. Yeah, right. That day is gone. That ship has sailed. You should have come to us back when we were 30, not when we're knocking on the door of 100 years old. But look at how Paul writes this in Romans 4, 18, against all hope. In other words, they had everything against them, and it, none of it was hope. So against all hope, Abraham what? In hope. Did you get that idea? In it. It's not just like something that's over there. He's letting it be here, now, in hope. What did he do? He believed and so became the father of many nations, and on the story goes. But against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed. It's constant. It's not circumstantial, friends. What your circumstances are right now cannot determine your hope, or you will be defeated. That is not hope. Hope is constant because it's in a God who is eternal. Also, living hope is active, not stagnant. Hope is a verb, which means it's an action word, right? It is active, not stagnant. In fact, we can see it in, in, in Isaiah 40 when the prophet speaks of this. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will not, oh, sorry, they will soar on wings as eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Friends, it's active, not stagnant. It's alive within you. It will cause you to be clothed in strength and to face the future willingly. That is what living hope is. Also, living hope is expectant, not hesitant. That means it's looking forward, leaning into the future, not leaning back in fear. It is expectant, not hesitant. In Psalm 42, 5, David, who needed a lot of hope, King David of the Old Testament, faced a lot of different things. He faced giants without. He faced real problems within his own family. He faced war. He needed a lot of hope. And there was a time when David must have been wrestling with a sense of hopelessness. And he writes these words, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He had to make that decision. Why are you so disturbed, soul? No, 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 no. Put your hope in God. 
Friends, some of you, that's what you feel today. You're talking to your soul, and your soul's saying it's pointless. And you got to tell your soul, uh-uh, why so downcast? Put your hope in God. Living hope is confident, not fearful. It's confident, not fearful. As you think about this year, some of you are afraid of what's around the corner. You're kind of afraid what's going to happen to our nation. You're afraid of whatever. But listen, come on. That's temporary, right? But hope is confident in what the future holds, not fearful. Jeremiah 29, 11, the verse I already read and shared with you before. I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans. Here's the deal. God knows the other end of this story that you don't know. God has your plans figured out. I know the plans I have for you. Yeah, but that was for Jerusalem. That was for Judah. You think God is limited to only knowing what they were going through and what they were about? No. God knows the plans he has for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And then finally, living hope is only possible through new birth in Christ. It's only possible in new birth. Some of you, you're here today you, you maybe like Jesus, you might even kind of like what he is about, but you know he's not your Lord and Savior. And Paul addresses that. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he talks about how when we were without Christ, we were also without hope. Look at what it says. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. You guys remember what it was like? Some of you might have been years ago, others it might have been more recently when you were separate. Now, now the, I know the Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, but you know what I'm talking about. You were living outside of a grace-filled relationship with Christ. And outside of that place, you were without hope, without God in the world. There's this idea that if you are not in Christ, you are not in hope. In fact, in the New Testament, there are times that Jesus is called hope. He is the, not only the hope giver, he is the embodiment of hope. Knowing him is knowing hope, and being without him is being without hope. And some of you, this won't change in 2018, outside of a relationship with Christ as your Savior. In fact, Romans chapter 5 describes that. Romans 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And it continues, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Okay? Circumstances don't dictate your hope. This might be some challenges coming up in 2018 for you. We also can, can glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces something. It, Produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and what does character produce? What's the end game? It is hope. And hope, listen to this, hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom has been given to us. Outside of a new birth, outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, friends, you're not going to know the living hope that Peter experienced at resurrection, that he experienced in the hardships that he faced. Lest I remind you that at the time of this writing, it wouldn't be a matter of two or three years, and Peter would lose his life as a martyr. He'd be crucified upside down on a cross because of his faith in his Lord. But he had a living hope, even in the midst of his own suffering, a living hope. 
So as I bring this message today to a close, here's what I want you to consider. How would you finish this statement? I have a living hope because. How would you finish that? And here's the deal. We don't often think about these things. We don't. We, we kind of go, yeah, I have hope. I have hope in you. But you don't think about it. Here's the, here's the thing. You need to wrestle with this statement. I have a living hope because. What, is it, what are you going to put in the rest of that statement? And I challenge you to finish this for yourself. Is it because you feel happy about 2018? That's not necessarily living hope. Is it because you got enough money in the bank to face whatever the future holds? No, that's not enough. Why can you say, I have a living hope? And if you don't feel like you have an answer to this question, then you need to take a moment and explore this for yourself. I have a living hope because. I finished it, so you can use mine, but only for about a week. You better write your own. But I finished this statement as I thought about why I have a living hope. As I looked at Peter's example, as I looked at the, the, the letter he wrote, this is what I said. I have a living hope because a living Savior holds my future. That's what I determined. 2018, I don't know what's going to happen as a, as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather. As a church, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm expectant, but I don't know what's going to happen. But here's what I do know. Somebody's got my back and my future. I have a living hope because a living Savior holds my future. And if he holds it, it's capable hands, friends. It's miracle-working hands. It's the hands that can craft exactly what I need for my future because he knows it. I have a living hope because a living Savior holds my future. And why do I know that? Yeah, because of Peter, absolutely. But because Paul says the same thing. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this. What's, the, what's, what's hope? Confidence, expectant confidence, all right? Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He began a good work in Peter when he called him from his boats. It didn't look so good when Peter was denying that he knew Jesus. It didn't look so good when the tomb was sealed and his hope was gone. But the good work was still there. It was still in motion. It just needed to be embraced expectantly with hope. Friends, God started a good work in you. As you put your trust in him, as you said, Lord, I, I want to follow you, a good work began in you that that diagnosis from the doctor cannot change, that your bank account statement cannot change, that the relationship struggles you're facing in 2018 cannot change because it's not circumstantial. It's constant. It's permanent. It's eternal. It's active. But is it active in you? Is it active in you? 
God began a good work in you. And friends, he's not done with you. Your best years are not past tense. He is not done with you. So as you think about 2018, you think about God, you got a plan for me. You got a plan for me. You hold my future. And I can trust you no matter what 2018 brings. Father, I pray for those right now who are without you, who haven't entered that relationship with you, because this living hope is only made possible through the new birth because of the resurrection of you, Christ. So this morning I pray for them that, God, they would simply believe the simplicity of the hope of the gospel, that they commit themselves to you. They believe you are the Son of God, died on a cross for them, that they could experience not only forgiveness from their past, but a sense of purpose and newness for the future. We commit that to you today, Lord, and thank you for hearing their prayer. And God, we thank you for 2018. We don't know what it brings, but I have a living hope because a living Savior holds my future. You got this, Lord, and we trust you with that today. In Jesus' name.